Well, welcome. Uh, what a great week of VBS. That was fantastic. I had the opportunity to hang out with fourth and fifth graders, uh, which was uh, really, really sweet. A lot of high energy and uh, really well done. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where we haven't done an evening VBS uh, for as long as I can remember, and uh, such good traction. The, the, uh, the gospel was presented, and uh, as you see, uh, with the lanterns, and the, the lanterns really are an indication, as at Ridgewood Church we've been praying that God would, would uh, bring 52 people who would indicate that they've come to faith in Christ through the ministries at, at Ridgewood uh, in the calendar year of 2018, and many of you are praying with us. And again, answered prayers uh, this last week, and I, I was looking around as, as people were being invited into to uh, uh, placing their faith in Christ, that I even saw a couple adults raise their hands. We had parents there. A really, really powerful, powerful time and uh, awesome time uh, of being together. So uh, I don't know how long it's going to take to get those songs out of my head. Right? Not that I necessarily want them out of my head, but I don't want them in there all the time. Right? The emotions and the whole deal. So I saw people who had dance moves. I didn't know they had dance moves like that. So... Uh, Pretty, uh, pretty good. Uh, so uh, I just want to, I don't know how many times you can clap in one service, but let's push the limits here. But I just want to praise God, right? Thank you, God, for what he has done, right? Really. We just want to give praise and worship to God. And uh, one of the things that I, that I think about, one of my favorite uh, quotes, and it oftentimes comes from a sporting context, is that the best ability is availability, Right, that that you're not very much, don't have much usefulness if you're not available. And that God can take the our abilities when we say yes and we are available and uh, do all sorts of crazy and amazing things through that. And so I just want to acknowledge too uh, the work that Denise put into the VBS and just the availability. She said yes, and then used her abilities uh, to bless many, many, many kids. And that's a big production, a big event uh, to present the gospel in a, in a well-done sort of way. And so just one more for Denise. Thank you, Denise. Yeah. So, and if I say something really brilliant today, you can clap for that too, okay? Uh, how many of you are as surprised to see me here as I am to see me here? This is, yeah, thank, oh my goodness, yeah, okay, we need to get Melinda out of here, right? Uh, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, I said yes to this about 25 years ago, not this specific uh, invitation, but uh, Paul asked me about six or eight weeks ago, and I made an agreement with a mentor of mine who's now in his early 90s, and I talked to him a couple weeks ago. Uh, but when I was in college, and the, the agreement was that when God brings things in front of you to do, say yes, and then figure out the anxiety and the worries and all that stuff later. Just say yes, step into it. And uh, so that happened probably 25 years ago, but I got the invite um, to, um, to speak today as uh, the cats are away, folks. Right, so they bring out the mice, and we're going to play a little bit. So, uh, so the topic today really is this idea of avoiding legalism by staying connected to Christ. And we want to avoid legalism. We want to stay connected to Christ. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about 
today. And uh, you can you can take a look at the, the scripture. We're going to read from Colossians 2, uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, you can find that in the Bible in the seat back in front of you on page 984. Or you can find it on your app or on the My Ridgewood uh, app as well, if you'd like to do that and follow along. Uh, when, I, when Paul gave me the verses that, we, that I was going to speak on, um, and I saw there were only two, that's like, uh, couldn't you give me like ten verses, right? Uh, but uh, let's read these, follow along with me. Colossians two sixteen and 17 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festivals or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let's take a moment and pray and invite God to do what he desires to do here with us. God, we're just... Uh, Coming to you, we, we uh, may have lots of other things going on, but we want to ask that you just quiet our hearts, that we might be able to hear your voice, your word you tell us in Isaiah 55. It goes out and it accomplishes the purposes that you set out for it. It doesn't return empty. And so we just put, your, put our faith and trust in you, that you will do the things and meet us where we're at. Uh, speak into us, Lord. Help us to not leave this place like we came in, that we would be changed because of you and meeting you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So my childhood radio pastor was Chuck Swindoll. I don't know if you uh, remember Chuck Swindoll. I think he still is on the radio, still doing his thing. And one of the things that I remember from him is that he would oftentimes say something like, uh, when you come to a therefore in the Bible, you want to just stop and then ask the question, what is the therefore there for? Like, what happened before that now the, the, the writer is saying, so this Happened back here, and now here's the application, or this is why it matters. And so I want to back up just for a couple minutes to look at what Pastor Paul talked about last week, and we'll look at the, the text there, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And it's uh, the point here that Christ nailed our debt with its legal demands to the cross. Right? Christ nailed our debt with its legal demands on the cross. That's what we talked about last week, but we want to make sure we get that. So we understand what we're moving toward in this next, uh, in the next verses. So let's look at Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, if you're, if you're hearing this and you are... Uh, putting yourself back into the time and place this was written, written to the people living in a city called Colossae. The church was started and planted by a man named Epaphras, who was a friend of Paul's or a new Paul. And he was reporting back to Paul and he was saying, hey, these are the things that are going on. And so Paul writes a letter 
And he's reminding the people of Colossae, and he's saying, don't forget, and this would be great news, right? And it's not just great news for then. This ought to be great news for now. Right? Don't forget, everybody, that you were once kind of burdened down, but Jesus Christ came and he canceled your debts. You were legally bound because you sinned, and he canceled your debts. Right? Remember that. It's like there's an attorney in your midst, a, a, a prosecuting attorney, and he's saying to you, about you, and he's pointing to the judge, he said, this person sinned. This person broke the law. And then the sentencing mandate for, for breaking the law is death. Somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die. Right? And so the Colossians, he's, he's reminding them, somebody paid the price. It's like, it's like this huge debt that you have. And you're looking at it and you go, I couldn't pay that debt off in a million years. And as you're looking at it and you've got this sick, sick feeling in your pit of your stomach, there's this hand that comes and it stamps right across this record of your debt. Paid in full. Red ink paid in full. And so the Colossians are hearing this and they're going, yes, right? And Paul is saying, remember, Christ paid the price for your sin. He did it. And it reminds me of a song, and no, I'm not going to sing, all right? We would not get applause for that. Um, But it reminds me of a song from Keith Green, who was super influential in my life as I was in college. And he just wrote just convicting words and songs. And uh, the lyrics that jumped out to me as I, as I read this passage, uh, he wrote, Most people don't find out till it's too late that someone has to pay the price. Now, you can pay it yourself or you can let someone else. But who would be that nice? To pay a debt that isn't his, well, I know someone like that. And he's your best friend. He really is. He really loves you. I love that. Somebody's got to pay the price. You can pay it yourself or let someone else, but who would be that nice? Jesus paid the price for our sin. And that's what he's saying to the Colossians. Don't forget. This is who you are. God rules over everything. And he paid the price for you. So that's the ears, and I'm hoping that's not just good news for the Colossians, you know, 2,000 years ago. I'm hoping that's good news for you. The second thing I want to highlight here is that Paul makes the point that the Colossians are not judged by their keeping or their not keeping feasts and celebrations, right? He says, therefore, because all of this stuff over here I just said is true, the, the price has been paid, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in questions of food or drink or in regards to the Sabbath or celebrations or new moons. Don't let people judge you by that stuff. So just to give you a taste of what especially the Jewish folks in that day would have been thinking or reminded, because we know that there were people in Colossians in the city, maybe the believers who are saying, oh, great, you came to faith in Jesus Christ, <clears throat> but there are some feasts and things that we still need to pay attention to here. 
So let me give you a snapshot of what maybe some of those feasts uh, and celebrations might have been. So there's a Passover feast which signified the redemption of Israel. It involved the slaying and eating of a lamb or a, a kid. I just find that funny. Uh, a kid. Now, uh, it's a baby goat, right? Uh, Feast of the unleavened bread signified the sanctification of Israel, eating the Passover sacrifice and a sacrificial meal. The feast lasted seven days in which eating bread with yeast was forbidden. There's the Feast of the first fruits. Involved presenting a sheaf of the first barley harvest as a wave offering. It involved making a burnt offering and a grain offering. There were the festival of weeks. It's a festival of joy, mandatory, and some voluntary offerings, including the first fruits of wheat harvests. Uh, there's the Feast of the Trumpets, uh, signifying a calling to, of judgment to, to Israel. A sacred assembly and a day of rest commemorated with trumpet blasts and sacrifices. Israel presents itself before the Lord for his favor. There's the Day of Atonement. Some of you have heard of Yom Kippur. Signified the atonement of the covenant people. And a day of, it's a day of rest, fasting, and sacrificing for the atonement of the priests and the people and the atonement for the tabernacle and the altar. Cleansing people and priests and kings from their sins. There's the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Shelters or Booths. Signifying God's presence with his covenant people. Looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. It was an eight-day feast, a week of celebration for the fruit harvest, grapes and olives. It involved in uh, living in booths uh, and offering sacrifices. There were three pilgrim feasts. So now you need to go somewhere, right? Every Israelite male must present himself to Yahweh three times a year at the temple in Jerusalem, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. There's a weekly feast of the Sabbath. There are periodic feasts referred to in verse, seven, uh, verse 16. The New Moon Feasts. There's the Sabbath year feast. Every seventh year was designated a Sabbath year of the Lord in which the land rested. Are you tired yet? What sounded like really great news started to sound like something other than really great news, right? And then you throw in the law and the Pharisees and the, the, the teachers of the law, and they were adding new laws. And suddenly the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ starts to feel weighted down again. It starts to feel like, hmm... That penalty I was free from just seems like a lot more got dumped on to me. And so the third thing I just want to highlight here is that the Old Testament ceremonies were just a taste, just a taste of what was to come. That's what Paul says in uh, verse 17. It says, uh, and these are just the shadow of the things to come. Right? But the substance, the real thing, is Jesus Christ. So it might go something like this. So you're standing in your front yard, and, uh, and your neighbor comes walking by and says, uh, Hey, Joe, jo- Joseph, you, um, you know, when, are you, when are you going to the festival? It's like, festival, what? Yeah, when are you heading out? What do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? what I said. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, the festival. I mean, you're going, right? Well, no, I, I wasn't planning on going to the festival. And then you can just feel it, right? Here it comes. Well, I thought you were a follower of Jesus Christ. Aren't, aren't you a follower? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I am. I mean, come on, but I didn't. Well, Jesus observed these. Are you too good for Jesus? Are you better than Jesus? Right. And you just start to go, oh, yuck. The stuff that I was saved and free from is now becoming a burden to me because something's being added on. The expectations are being added on. And John MacArthur says that legalism is the religion of human achievement. The religion of human achievement. Okay, We put formulas and expectations on ourselves, things that we have to do. So Jesus Christ plus a few other things. But then the big double whammy is when other people start to put expectations and demands on us that show that we're really saved by Christ, right? How many of you, just just, uh, by raise of hands, how many of you enjoy your devotions and and spending time with God at like 11 p.m. midnight? Yes, that's my wife. Yes. Okay, this is great. There were three people in the last service as well. There are three people here who enjoy that. And I've got to tell you, that was a, that was a burden for me. Because I, I always tell, like, if I meet with Pastor Paul or something, I should have told the first service this, but I, I, uh, I shouldn't be held accountable for anything I say before 10 a.m. Right? I'm not a morning person, but I would, I would feel so guilty and shamed that I didn't spend time with Jesus when everybody else was telling me that's when you spend time with Jesus. That's when the good stuff happens. And I would be more likely to be walking outside our house at 11 o'clock or midnight uh, just worshiping. Again, it's good for me, but if I said to you, 11 o'clock, midnight, 1 o'clock, that's when you, it works for me, that's when you have to do this stuff too, right? If you're going to be a real Christian, it just doesn't work like that. But that's what we, we start to do, and Paul tar- talked about that in, in uh, Galatians 5.1 when he said, it's for freedom that you've been set free. Stand firm, therefore, he says, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's what he called it. It's like this is bondage again. I've got to do it just this way in order for me to find acceptance when Christ, when we've read in 13 through 15 that Christ already did it. He paid it. He canceled our debts. There's no more to do that will put me in better favor with God. And I think that... It's the conclusion that we come to. It's the so what? So I do it this way. You have to do it the same way as well. Are you? And I, and I heard it. I've, I've heard, you know, Jesus got up early in the morning. I, I know. And I can't. I just don't do that very well. Right? And so then it's the so what? That's how you're supposed to really do this. Right? What conclusions do we make? Jesus plus Anything equals legalism. Okay, Jesus is enough. Except you need to... Right? No, Jesus is enough. Jesus plus good works does not earn us salvation. Jesus plus works does not earn us salvation. Now, when I was a kid, I was a part of a church, and I went to this thing called... the. Uh, I went to Sunday school, and then in August, we always had this event called Promotion Sunday. So if I'm in third grade and I go through my Sunday school class and then I'm, <clears throat> I didn't know that you just got moved on, right? 
but everybody got moved on, right? And say you were an adult and you got stuck in adult class. But I got, I was in third grade and I'm moving on. I'm hoping I'm moving on. Did enough, right? Attended Sunday school enough. Uh, and there was a guy in my class. He's a friend of mine named Ned and he's a, a big guy. And, and then I found out at Promotion Sunday, they would give awards away. I'm a competitive person. Like I want to want to win the award. And he would always like I think it was like 3 or 4 years in a row. He got the perfect attendance award for Sunday school. And I started to think, what? How does this guy get sick on any day but Sunday? You know, how does he do this? Do they go on vacation? Do they plan vacations around Sunday school? He's perfect attendance all the time. And it wasn't like Ned. Ned's a really humble guy. It wasn't like he was looking down at me and saying, yeah, maybe someday you could get your act together and be at Sunday school all the time. It was my interpretation was, I need to start doing more. And I've been saved, but I need to start working. Being at Sunday school was a measure. And so I jumped into an, an Awana program, which which was a great program for me, third through eighth grade. I memorized a lot of scripture. And I started to look at other people like, yeah, you know, maybe you just thought it would become a little bit more like me. Like, here's the measuring stick. And I'm really good. My natural bent is to measure. I want to know how I'm doing against everybody else. Right? But that's not what the gospel is. Okay? We can get legalistic about a lot of things. I mentioned devotions. We can get legalistic about uh, how we do church or uh, what day we do church or music in church. Okay? Anything that we do that just adds another level, adds another layer. Jesus plus this thing will really get you in good standing with God. No. Paul is saying loudly, no, 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 no. And he had sharp words. The Apostle Paul didn't usually mince words with people. And in Titus uh, 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says to Titus, who's a pastor of a church there, he says, Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. That's coming from Paul, right? Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths. He described himself as the Pharisee of Pharisees. The ultimate rule keeper. And he's saying, no. Those things were just a shadow of the things that were to come. You can read more about that uh, in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, 9 and 10, or Romans 14 and 15, where Jesus lays out, or, or Paul lays out, the liberties that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8.13, the writer says, And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the, the first one obsolete. Okay? And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay? Jesus is the real thing, right? The old covenant, all the rules that were laid out with Moses, the Ten Commandments, all the feasts, all the festivals, all the things that you needed to do were gone. They were a shadow, Paul says. They're a shadow of the things to come. And what is a shadow? It's 
just look at the definition real quick. I like this. A shadow is only an image cast by an object which represents the object's form. Okay, it's just an image cast by an object which represents the object's form. Once we find Christ, we no longer need to chase the old shadow. We don't have to chase the old shadow. Isn't that good news? <laughs> the, the shadow is only an image cast by an object which represents the object's form. So we've got the old law over here. It's the shadow, the Passover. If you're celebrating Passover, you're celebrating this, this uh, uh, remembrance of God passing over the Israelites when they were in bondage with Egypt. Okay? The blood was put around the doorposts. And if the blood was there, the blood of the lamb was there, it was passed over. Talk about the shadow and Jesus being the substance and the real thing. Those things are just a shadow cast by the object of Jesus who comes to satisfy and has satisfied all of the requirements of the law. There's only one person in the entire world throughout history who has satisfied all of the requirements of the law. And his name is Jesus, and he has paid your debts. <laughs> There's nobody else that could, right? There's nobody else that could. Legalism does a lot of things. Okay. Legalism will exhaust you. Legalism will burn you out. And legalism will steal your joy. How many of you have been around a joy-filled legalist? Right? Rule counting. Counting the beans. Everything go all right. We've got to just make sure. Okay? Steals our joy. We don't want our joy stolen. We don't want to burn out. We don't want to get tired out. But legalism will do those things to us. And so, what's the antidote? How do we move forward with this? The last thing I want to talk about here is just that second part of verse 17, that the substance is Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Okay, Our substance is in Christ. The NIV says that, that the Christ is our reality. Christ is our reality. Okay, there's nothing wrong. Just, just hear me clearly. There's nothing wrong with doing your devotions at 6 a.m., all right? I won't guilt you for that. Okay. okay, good. Right, you got that? There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Good for you. Good things. There's nothing wrong with the festivals or the celebrations or remembering the things that God has done or did for Israel. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, he gave them as a way to remind people to be thoughtful, grateful, thankful for what he has done, to remember them. Okay, but salvation doesn't come through doing those things. It comes through Christ alone. So just a couple antidotes that I want to share with you about uh, uh, how to combat our our modern-day bent, I think, towards legalism. One, and I think this is for all of us, whether you are a Christ follower or some, you know, on, the, on the path trying to understand who Christ is, is that we have a sin problem. Now, understanding that we have a sin problem is, is an important, that there's no amount of rule following that you can do that will eliminate our sin problem. 
No amount of rule following. Titus 3, 5 says that not by works of righteous things, which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saves us. Not by works of righteous things, what we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saves us. Powerful. It's him. It's not us. Not by the things that we do. And if there's a lie that I hear that, that I think Satan puts out there for people, uh, it's, it's one of two extremes. Okay, one is that I'm really not that bad. I mean, I haven't committed a lot of sins that other people have, you know, so. But the scripture just says, if you commit one, you're guilty of all. The punishment is the same. And the other side of that is, I've done so much awful and bad things in my life that God could never forgive me. Again, that's not what, that's not what scripture says. I always think the bigger the issue, the bigger the sin, the bigger the, bigger the challenges that God goes, <laughs> I love coming into that stuff. To show myself powerful. Right, so we have a sin problem. The second thing I want to acknowledge here is that when we recognize that only Jesus can save me from an eternity uh, separated from God, I can call on his name to receive salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be You will be delivered. That's amazing, right? And for those of you who understand that or know that already, just let that sink in. This is what we have been, we've been saved from, right? And then the next piece uh, is that when I become a a child of God, his word says that I become an heir. I become an heir. I get identified with Christ, Right? You've, you've heard those stories, right? And it, maybe it's happened to you. It's not happened to me yet. Um, I say yet, right? Where uh, in the news, uh, somebody didn't even know they had this long-lost uncle, and they're, you're the only living heir, and so uh, you get this inheritance. That person did nothing, nothing to deserve it. Didn't earn it at all. They didn't even know it was out there. And here it is. We are an heir. And I love, as it talks about uh, who we are, I think it's really important that we identify ourselves with Christ, that our identity comes from being a child of God, an heir with Christ. Okay, Romans 8, uh, 17 talks about us as, uh, now if we're children, then we're heirs. And listen to the language here. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God, the God of the universe. And we're co-heirs? Like, we are standing next to Jesus? Co-heirs? Not like, get the leftovers falling off the table heirs? Co-heirs with Jesus. Okay, in John 14, he says that that Jesus is promised... That he would secure a place for us in his father's house. It's good news. You identify with Christ. We're adopted. We're chosen. In Ephesians 1, it says we're chosen. And God has given us blessings, all the blessings of heaven. If you read Ephesians 1 and 2, you'll likely be able to pick out 20 to 25 messages 
in that book alone, that just uh, in those two chapters, that say this is who you are in Christ. Let me just give you a couple of highlights. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're adopted as sons and daughters. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are alive in Christ. You are saved by grace. It's coming up, Colossians 3. Uh, but a couple of my favorite verses are in Colossians 3, where he says, Therefore, as chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Holy? Really? Dearly loved? Yeah. That's what our identity is. Hold on to your identity. You know, we can't be experts in the law, okay, in the letter of the law, to become an heir. Jesus alone is the expert, and God chose a better way through Jesus for us to become his children and heirs in Christ, his son. So God invites us into relationship. Christ is the substance. He's the real thing, the real deal. And so you can rest in that. Everything. As I was preparing this message, I was going, okay, great. Okay. So Christ is where we find our identity. Christ is the real deal. Okay. And so then we got to do, and then that other thing we have to, and then I really need to start. And then I've got to, no, stop. Just stop. Some of you came here today going, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. So tired. This working, this Christian faith stuff is really hard work. And you might just need to hear, you're aligned with Christ. You're an heir, and there's nothing you're going to do that will make you more presentable to God. Jesus has paid it all. He is the substance. That is good news. And you might be going, hey, I don't even know what this stuff is all about. Maybe you're not connected to Christ. And you want to know more about that. And I always think about that spirit kind of does work in my heart when I start to get a little uncomfortable. Or I'm like, oh, wow, what time is it? Uh, Let's get out of here. Right? That the spirit works in us. And if you're hearing that, whether you've been a longtime Christian or you're not a Christian yet, you just go, something's going on. And we get to rest in that. the rest in that. And there are verses coming. There's more sermons to be preached about what the indication, what the byproduct of putting our faith in Christ is. Okay, what our response to Christ is. But today, just rest. Okay, knowing that Christ is enough. Not enough. He's everything. He's our substance. So, let's pray. God, we're just so grateful for your word that helps us just get a snapshot, an understanding of who you are and what you're doing and what you're up to. Thank you for paying the price we could not pay, for doing the thing that only you could do, 
And God, we just ask that, that you would stir in our hearts the things that you want to do, the things that um, you desire to have us know. Lord, I just ask that your spirit would work right now. just ask that you would be active. Lord, we know that the voice of the enemy says there's a lot of con- condemnation in that voice. You should, and God's disappointed. And yet you tell us in your word that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We bless your name. Amen.